Welcome to our midweek service. Um, we're going to take a moment, have a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into the word for tonight. We've got some special things for you today, some kind of unique, kind of different things. So um, I just want to make sure that we all are have hearing ears and seeing eyes to receive what God wants for us today. So Father, we are thankful and grateful to you for your word. We are thankful and grateful that your word is applicable in all areas of life that we are able to take your word and apply it to today. I thank you, Father, that your word gives us insight. It gives us revelation. It gives us knowledge, not only of the past and the present, but also the future. So for that, I give you praise and I give you thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to open first to the passage of scripture that Pastor Jerry has been using every week. Um, regarding the children of Israel in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So in past times, he's been talking about the different patriarchs of faith, the different people of God that lived through the Old Testament and some in the New Testament, confirming that the things that happened to them are to be examples to us or things that happen to them should give us hints and clues about spiritual matters. So with that being said, I want to um, turn over to Daniel. Daniel chapter nine. I, I believe pastor already this year has gone over Daniel chapter nine, but I want to go into some things about Daniel. First of all, we know that Daniel was a man with a spirit of excellence. It says he had an excellent spirit, that he was above all the others in that land. But one of the things I want to emphasize today is the fact that Daniel was a man that prayed for his nation. If we look in Daniel and beginning verse four of chapter nine, reading a prayer of Daniel. And he says, and I prayed to the Lord, my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing for your, from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our Kings and our princes to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belong shame of face to our kings, our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heavens, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, 
all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for you, the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are approached to all those around you. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. So this is the passage of scripture here that Daniel is praying for his nation. And there's a lot of similarities in it that we can see right now to America. But we need to recognize and realize Daniel realized it's because his people had turned their heart away from God. And what he was doing is he was repenting on behalf of the whole so that the mercy and the grace of God could come once again. And he said, forgive us, Lord, listen and act. Don't delay for your sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. So he was appealing to God for the mercy of God on an entire nation or on, on an entire people. Then we see over here, um, what happens to Daniel next is if we look over into Daniel chapter 10, verse four, um, it says, uh, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold and his body was like barrel, his face, like the appearance of lightning is talking about what this man looked like, his eyes, like torches of fire. His arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color, the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision and no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man, great beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. 
Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. A lot of reading there, but what happens here is Daniel makes intercession to the Lord about his nation. And in this, he's repenting and asking for forgiveness and asking God to move concerning his nation. And then what happens is Michael, an archangel, gets to him to give him understanding. But he explains that in the heavenlies, the prince of Persia in the heavenlies has withstood him. Now, it's interesting for us to understand that Daniel prays and Michael is sent in response to this prayer, but there's a demonic force, the prince of Persia, that's standing against Michael getting to Daniel. And what this prince is trying to stop is it tells us in verse 14, I've come to make you understand. So clearly we need to understand that in the realms of the unseen, what the enemy tries to do is stop people from getting understanding. The enemy is about closing the minds so that people do not understand what is happening, the time it is, how to act, how to be discerning. All of these things are assignments from the enemy to keep the people of God from understanding. Every time the enemy sets up his camp, he's intending to set up his camp so that people do not understand the day and the hour they live in or do not understand the blessing and provision of God or do not understand who their enemy is and what he's trying to do. The enemy comes to block understanding from not only the people of God, but also the people of the world. If he can block our understanding, he has shut down our ability to discern and receive revelation. So let's go over to some scriptures in the new covenant to confirm this, because we see that Daniel became a recipient of understanding and Michael begins to explain to him exactly the days and the hours that he's in and also the days and the hours that are yet to come. So let's confirm this in the new covenant. If we go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and read in verse 4, it says in verse um, chapter 4, verse 3, excuse me. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the enemy comes to blind eyes. And when he's blinding eyes, what he's doing is shutting down the ability to understand. He's stopping the ability for people to understand what's really going on. In recent days, it's been easy to see that people aren't understanding what's going on. Let's turn over to another scripture here in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we're just going to read one passage there. Verse number 19, Matthew 13, 19. 
This is in the parable of the sower that sows the word of God, sows the seed of God. And it says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, where God is king, and does not understand it, then the wicked wood comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. This is an explanation. And what he's saying here is, if you do not understand the word of God, if you don't have understanding of the words of the kingdom of God, then you are vulnerable and the enemy will come and snatch that word. But if you understand that word, it's less likely that the enemy can come and steal that word. So we can see how imperative understanding is. Understanding is the ability that God has when it's understanding from him of allowing the word of God to take root into our life and produce a, a fruitful harvest. So this understanding is what, or lack of understanding, I should say, is what gives the enemy permission to steal the word of God in our, out of our heart. All right, let's look at some more scriptures here in Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, a very um, common prayer. And we'll just come into the middle of it here. In verse number 18 of Ephesians one, it says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And this is a prayer that Paul commissions us to pray, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Why do we need the eyes of our understanding enlightened? That we will know what is the hope of his calling, that we will know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is, and that we will know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then it goes on to tell where we're seated. It's Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, goes actually to the end of um, uh, the chapter, verse 23. But he's saying, if the eyes of your understanding can get enlightened, you can know all kinds of things. So what we need to pursue is an understanding. Because with understanding, we're going to know the hope of our calling. We're going to know the riches of the glory. We're going to know the exceeding greatness of your power. We're going to understand that we're above principalities and powers. We're going to understand all these things if we can get understanding. Now, in light of that, we can see why the enemy in the unseen realm is there to stop understanding from getting to us. And that how important understanding is. Let's look at another one here. Let's look over in Colossians chapter one. Another prayer that was prayed. Hallelujah. Verse number nine of Colossians one. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Then he goes on in verse 10 and says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then it keeps going on, strengthen with might. All these things come 
when the eyes of our understanding or we receive spiritual understanding, when we receive spiritual understanding, we walk worthy of the Lord. We fully please him. We're increasing in the knowledge. We're strengthened. We're fruitful. All of these abound when we have understanding. No wonder the enemy doesn't want us to have understanding. No wonder there's a conflict in the heavenlies to stop understanding from getting to the people of the earth. Because once we understand these things, it forever changes our life. Now, you can say, well, what, what is so relative about understanding? Well, you know, if you go through the book of Proverbs and look at all the things that understanding provides, you know, we know about how wisdom is our sister, but it says understanding our closest kin. And according to Proverbs, you know, you'd have to go through the whole book of Proverbs and do a study on your own, but it promises that understanding will keep us. It promises that um, length of days. It promises riches and honor. It promises pleasantness. It promises peace. It promises happiness. It says understanding will preserve us and keep us. It says understanding will give us a commotion, uh, promotion. Might be give a commotion too. A promotion. It says that understanding will keep you from adultery. Understanding will give you strength. It tells you that understanding will help you keep your mouth shut when it needs to be shut. Understanding gives you favor. Understanding causes you to be slow to wrath. And the list just goes on and on. If you want a word study, go through the book of Proverbs and see that everything that understanding provides. Because this understanding is crucial always in life, especially in this day and hour. So let's look over to Acts chapter 28. And the last passage of Acts um, 28, we're going to begin reading in verse 26. Hallelujah. Verse 26, and he's he is quoting something out of the old covenant. But yet if he if he preached it yet at the end of the book of Acts, it's obviously still relevant to us today. And says to this, go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So it tells us here that you can hear and not understand. You can see and not perceive. And the reason that is the case is because people have grown dull. They've become comfortable. They've become casual. They've become accepting of everything that's around them. They have become nonchalant, without enthusiasm, without excitement. And what we don't understand sometimes, that attitude keeps understanding away. We need to be alive to God in order to get understanding. So he's saying, but once you get understanding with your heart, there's a healing that takes place. So we need to work and develop having this understanding. Um, one of the last scripture I want to go to here is it found in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter nine, reading just one verse, verse number 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we know that when we are 
in awe of God, when we submit ourselves to God, that that is the beginning of wisdom. That's how wisdom starts in our life. Wisdom starts in our life when we are in awe, respect, and fear of God. It does not start with education. It does not start with information. The beginning of wisdom is when we fear God because God is wisdom. But then it goes on to say, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if we're going to have understanding in life, the requirement is that we are going to have to have a knowledge of God because it's knowledge of God that is understanding. It's not understanding does not come from life experience. But when you take that life experience and couple with the knowledge of God, now you've got understanding. It is not just um, education. It's not just information. It's not just data. See, the understanding is the knowledge of God. No wonder the enemy wants to keep understanding away from us because understanding and the knowledge of God are not only connected, but they run parallel all the time. They are joined, if you could say it that way. One is the other. They're synonymous. True understanding comes from having a knowledge of God. And one of the things that I believe has happened in um, this time and this era, especially in our nation, but all around the world, is there is a lack of understanding. And the reason for the lack of understanding is because we haven't applied current issues to the Word of God and found those current issues in the Word of God where understanding can then be in our hearts and then there can be healing take place. So today, we're going to do something today a little bit different today and the next couple midweek services that I believe we're going to turn to the knowledge of God in order to gain some understanding concerning current events and issues. That as we get understanding, I mean, as we get the knowledge of God on some things, it will give us understanding and that we can rightly position ourselves to be fruitful in every good work, that with the eyes of our understanding enlightened, we can be healed, we'll understand our positioning in life, we'll understand our calling in life, we'll understand so much more if we get understanding of current issues for the Holy One. So don't turn off your TV yet. We're not done. Just stay tuned because we got some things we're going to do to help you gain some understanding. Well, praise the Lord. Pastor Jerry and Trudy coming to you right where you're at. Amen. It's always uh, an honor and privilege to bring the Word of God to you. Today we're going to talk about uh, some crucial topics, praise God, that are out and about and Trudy had been ministering to you about understanding, praise God. And so we thought we would bring some of these topics, um, some of these topics that are kind of hot items right now. And what does the Word have to say about it? Amen. So we're just going to open up some verses, uh, share the verses, maybe a few little uh, tidbits here and there with that. Uh, so I'm glad you're here. Hope you got an ear to hear, praise God. Hallelujah. Trudy, what do we want to do to? We want to go to uh, Psalms 139 first? Sure. I think we should go to Psalms 139. One of the hottest topics 
that there is in America right now, especially that we're on an election, is the abortion issue. And um, I know that as a believer, we have witness within because the spirit of God within us that abortion is wrong. But if we're going to have an accurate biblical worldview, we need to know things not just by unction, but we need to know things by the word of God. Because if understanding is the knowledge of the Holy One, as it says in Proverbs 9, 10, we need to have understanding of these things. And I think with abortion, one of the, the best passages of scriptures that we can go to is in Psalms 139, verse 13. It says, for you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. So it tells us that God is the one that forms a baby in the mother's womb. So we don't want to get in the way of stopping what God is starting. So God forms a child um, and it says that the days fashioned for that child are written when there's not even any days yet begun. So we can see that God specifically is the creator of the existence of that child. Amen. Amen. Truth. Amen. Praise God. Let's look at another reference here in Jeremiah. You can do that for me. Got my mic in hand here, so hopefully everybody's hearing this all right. Jeremiah 1. And of course, uh, and I'm going to go to verse 5. Of course, this is the word of the Lord to uh, Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, which actually means set, set apart, set you apart. Amen. Your cross-reference might even say that. So before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And that word ordained means appointed. So the point we're just trying to make with this, again, is showing you that, you know, Jeremiah was a life before he was even born. I mean, he was, you know, called by God. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that uh, gets, uh, you know, in question is when does a, you know, a fetus and uh, become a child? And, and it's from the very get-go because you're called by God from the very get-go. Amen. Even while in the womb, praise God. From the moment of conception. Amen. Yeah. You know, one of the things we can look at is in back in Leviticus chapter 20. Um, and in Leviticus chapter 20, there is a situation where God is telling the children of Israel in verse 20, verse, or chapter 20, verse 2, you shall say to the children of Israel, whoever of the children of Israel or one of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And what the acts of Molech were was sacrificing of their children, um, a killing of the innocent lives. And God looked on this and said, whoever does that should be put to death. In fact, stoning, which was the most horrific of deaths. And he commanded them, if someone kills a child, this is what they're deserving of. They're deserving of being put to death and um, even by uh, stoning. So, Amen. I think one of the biggest things that we're trying to bring out is not that we're looking 
for anybody, you know, judgment on everybody. What we're trying to do is just show you the, the really the heart of God concerning uh, a child, you know, concerning an un, the unborn. And so, uh, you know, here we are, you know, we're just seeing the seriousness of this. And one of the references uh, out of Proverbs 6, and it just says uh, in Proverbs 6, and I, I think I'm going to read verse uh, maybe 16 and 17, it says, These six things the Lord hates, yes, even um, seven, yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue. And then the third one it mentions, though, is, <clears throat> excuse me, hands that shed innocent blood. So to us, that's exactly what's happening with, with abortion, is it's, it's a shedding innocent blood. Amen. And so, Again, it's a, something that says here that it's something that God hates. It's literally an abomination to him. So, uh, again, just showing the seriousness of this, um, you know, just you just can't get around that. So, mm -hmm. amen. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, in the New Covenant, mm -hmm. it says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. So, an aborted baby, an aborted uh, fetus, whatever you want to call it, is not allowing the children to come to him. And he said, don't forbid them for this is the kingdom of heaven is built on the fact of children. So um, we can see for a biblical worldview, a Christian, if they're going to have understanding or the knowledge of the Holy One, they're going to need to know that according to the word of God, abortion is not optional. Abortion is not sanctioned by God. It is not approved by God. We've been to five scriptures to show you that God does not look kindly on that. So as a believer, we have an obligation to oppose that because God opposes that. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, just maybe one thing, and, and I'd just like to throw this in there, as, uh, especially as a pastor of a church. A lot of times what we have to deal with is the aftermath of some of these kind of situations. You know, when you think about abortion, we've had to deal with the guilt, the shame, the condemnation that has come on an individual because of this kind of thing. And the reason being is because uh, the word says that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. And so Jesus is the giver of life. The enemy is the taker of life. And we see a, a situation in, in uh, Luke and 6, we see where, or pardon me, Luke and 9, and we see where the disciples wanted to call fire down on a people because they just basically turned their nose up at Jesus. Well, he said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. For mm -hmm. the Son of Man did not come uh, to destroy men's lives, uh, but to, to bring life, you know. So the point I'm trying to make with that is that any time that we shed innocent blood, we uh, you know, we destroy, you know, we're talking about the, the, the unborn. You have to understand that we're given place to the enemy. It's an, it's an unclean thing. It's a demonic thing. And what happens is we give the enemy place, all right? And so what happens then is it, it, it ends up uh, affecting individuals that, that have walked this out or been in, involved in this. It opens the door for the enemy. And then later on, we got to deal with not only sometimes physical damage, but a lot of times emotional and mental, uh, you know, uh, attack, we, we see where shame, guilt, condemnation. And so I just wanted to throw that in there, Trudy. I think that, you know, sometimes just people need to understand that, you know, they just, you know, people look at abortion like it's just some 
quick way to, you know, uh, that's not going to be, you know, it's going to cost me too much money to no raise effect. a child and, and right. you know, all that kind of stuff. And then in the end, it just ends up being an attack uh, on our society. You know, it just gives a place for the enemy. So I just want to toss that in there. Um, and the other part of it is, is God is a forgiver. Amen. You know, because I'm sure there's people out there that have experienced this, had an abortion. Know this. The Apostle Paul was a murderer and he was doing it for the glory of God. And God forgave him to the point where he said, I've, sh I've, I've uh, harmed no one. Mm -hmm. You know, so God is a forgiver of any of that have been in, involved in that, been a part of that. Yeah. You know, so our, our heart with any of this that we're talking about today, our heart is not to to bring any kind of guilt or shame on anybody. Our heart's really just to bring understanding. That's what we're trying to do, to just bring some understanding of how the Lord views some right. of these topics. The next one we'd like to talk about is marriage. I think we should touch on that. And yes. I think we should at least start in Genesis 1, since that's probably a pretty good place for that. Right. Genesis 1. And um, I'm just looking at... Uh, I'm actually going to start, I think, in verse 26. And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over uh, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In his image, God, or in, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, praise God. Amen. So we're seeing a male and female. Amen. That's where it started. Praise God. And uh, let's see. Do you want to touch on anything on that? Well, you want to no, move? it's just that God created a male and a yeah. female and put them together. And that's what we call marriage. Amen. It, hallelujah. Yeah. So uh, let's maybe go to Ephesians. Okay. And we All just right. kind of take that as a reference and then turn to Ephesians. Ephesians it, chapter 5, please. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5. And we can start in reading in verse 31. It says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The word wife is in reference to a woman. Okay, so a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife or woman, and the two become one flesh. It says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And again, this is a man and a woman. But um, I want to bring out in verse 33 because it gives us some understanding of a wife and a husband. So it says to the, to the husband, love your wife as yourself. And it says to the wife, respect your husband. So if it's a commission from the Lord for a husband to love his wife and for a wife to respect her husband, they're not the same word. Um, we can understand that then what has happened is God has put in woman a need to be loved and in man a need to be respected because he's going to always create things that are going to fill needs in our lives. So sometimes the reason this gets skewed because a woman is looking for love mm -hmm. and maybe in all the wrong places. And a woman and a man is looking for respect, possibly in all the wrong places. So what happens is their need for love and their need for respect divert them to what the original intent of marriage is. But yet God says, no, there's a woman for a man and there's a man for a woman. 
and, you know, and he's very clear on those things. Amen. That's good. Amen. Um, let's see here. We're going to go to Malachi. Let's, yeah, Malachi. Let's try that. Malachi 2. And um, what do you think? Verse 15 there? Right. Go ahead and read that. Sure. Um, Malachi 2 verse 15 says, He did not make them one having a... Did he not make them one having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He's talking about marriage. Why did he put a man and a woman together? He says, because he seeks godly offspring. And in order to have godly offspring, you have to have a man and a woman. Two men cannot produce godly offspring without outside help. Two women cannot produce godly offspring without outside help. And the reason God put a man and a woman together is for the um, uh, reproductive system of godly offspring. And so the only way, God's after godly offspring. He's after children, mm -hmm. godly children. And the only way that works is if you have a man and a woman to procreate. Amen, amen. Well, let's go to, uh, let's go, um, I, I'm going to put Romans. Let's go to Romans 1. And so a lot of times when you start getting on this and then a lot of the subject, you know, the subject comes up about, you know, homosexuality. Is that right? Is it, is it okay? Is it not okay? All that kind of thing. And, and uh, it wasn't designed that way. And we can see this in uh, Romans 1 and probably for sake of time, we're not going to read all of this, um, but maybe go to like verse, verse 26. It's kind of, um, it's really a progressive thing. But um, just talking about once you get your, um, you start looking somewhere else other than God, and then pretty soon, basically all hell starts breaking loose. But verse 26, it says this in Romans 1, For this reason God gave them up uh, to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman burned uh, in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And I'm just trying to bring out and understanding that in God's eye, that's not how it was designed. It never was designed for a man with man, woman with woman. It was designed a man and a woman. Oh, that's how he designed it. Praise God. Mm -hmm. I and think so, it's interesting. One of the things he said, their women exchanged the natural use. Yeah. So a man and a woman is natural. Is natural. Now, there's lots of things that probably have contributed to trying to upset nature but if we look in the animal kingdom they still know what's natural <laughs> yes true they still know what's natural Amen. you know there's a confirmation over this again in first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 and it it point out points out that um homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous none of these ha inherit the kingdom of god meaning they're not walking in the fullness of the kingdom of God. Does that mean God doesn't love homosexuals? Absolutely not. God loves every homosexuality for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The reason God doesn't like homosexuality and loves the homosexual, but the reason he doesn't like homosexuality because it deprives them of the best life they could have. It deprives them of the best life they could have. They could have so much more life, more fuller life, more satisfying life. You know, even there's things that get into certain cultures, diseases and, and mental torments and all kinds of things. And God sees all of those things that couple with 
a, um, a, a behavior. And he said, the reason I hate that behavior is because of how destructive it is to humanity. Mm-hmm. And that's why God doesn't, he always loves homosexuals. Mm-hmm. But it, the act of homosexuality, because it deprives them of the best life that they could ever have in God. Amen, truly, amen. So, you know, again, I'd like to just say this, like we, we did with uh, talking about abortion, is that one of the things, you know, coming from a pastor's point of view, okay, is what we have to deal with as far as the aftermath. Again, I can't tell you how many times we've had to pray with folks who have had to deal with so much junk in their lives because they've been through this kind of lifestyle. And, you know, they've come to know Christ, and now all of a sudden, you know, they they recognize the error of their way. And then we got to sit here and pray them through all that, you know. Now, again, the Lord is in love with people. Praise God. No matter what has happened, no matter our past, praise God. Jesus came and paid a price for you and me and all people. Praise God. But the point I'm just trying to make is sometimes we, we don't even recognize. We sit here and we try to argue points when all along, I mean, I've had to deal with the aftermath, okay, of people who have been through that kind of lifestyle and then what it does to them. And, and so what Trudy's talking about, about you know, you're, you're missing out on that, that, that kingdom life, that kingdom living, that, that, that life that you're designed for. And many times when they, they come out of that other lifestyle, there's a lot of other stuff we have to work through, a lot of other stuff we have to pray them through. And that's the, heart, that's the thing that kind of grieves my heart uh, is all the aftermath. And so I just kind of want to toss that again in there because mm-hmm. I think it's necessary because sometimes, you know, we get in all these kind of debates about whether it's right or wrong or this or that. And when it comes right down to it, I've seen the aftermath. So it's kind of hard to convince me otherwise. I mean, right. I just, you right. know, because I've had to pray so many people through some of these things. So anyway, I just want to say that. And, and, and Jesus is a bondage breaker. Amen to that. He sets the captives free. Mm-hmm. So even if you feel you're captured in that kind of lifestyle or captured with those kind of wrongful desires or wrongful lusts, Jesus wants to set you free from that because those are demonic footsteps on your mind. Those are not godly impulses. And so if you call out to Jesus, if you call out to his name, he is able to break those things, those torments, those lusts, those desires that are leading you down a wrong path. He is able to break those. If you'll just call out to him and submit those things to him, you can be free from that. Amen. That's good. Amen. That's good. Amen. Uh, let's let's uh, shift gears again. Let's talk about education. Undo that for education. a little bit. Let's go to Proverbs, all right, 22. And again, there's no way that we can exhaust any of these subjects. We're just, you know, just taking some time and looking at a few subjects here today. And this will be the last one we look at today. And that's, uh, we're going to come out of Proverbs 22 and verse 6. You want to go ahead and no, take it? No, you go ahead. Want me to do it? All right. Mm-hmm. All right. So Proverbs 22 and verse 6, and it says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Praise God. Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, of course, we all know that, right? In the way of the Lord, right? That's what it's really in, t- in context. That's what it's dealing with. And the, the idea of what's being said here is this, you know, if you take the time and train them, they're not going to turn from it. Amen. So we first and foremost, when we start talking about education, it does start with you and me as a parent. Amen. As uh, especially as a Christian parent. Amen. We ought to, you know, first and foremost, purpose to train our kids right amen if we do that they'll grow up right praise the lord right amen right you know in um ephesians 6 
And if you look in verse four, it says, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So it's exhorting fathers to be able to train and admonish their children in the Lord. That word train there is another word they use for education or tutorage. So it's asking you as a parent, the responsibility for educating your children is on the parent. Right now under restrictions uh, due to coronavirus, you know, a lot of parents are having to train their children. But understand this, training your child is a responsibility and a right you have. And you can train them in what you want them to learn. You know, that it's the, it is the responsibility of the parent to teach and train their children according to what they want them to see and know. You know, ungodly parents stand for that responsibility and right. As a believer, the word of God gives us that right to train our children. Amen. Amen. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, Only take heed to yourself and diligent keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest, you depart, uh, from your, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. I like that. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day. Come on now. Uh, the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, which is Mount Horeb there, uh, the Mount of God, when the Lord said to me, gather the, the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days uh, they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. That's so key is to pass it on from generation to generation. In fact, Genesis in chapter 18, it brings out of, of how one of the reasons that Abraham was chosen was because he would pass it on to the next generation, praise God. And I just think that's always key. This is really what it's about. A lot of times some of the problems that we see in our society is because the, you know, the, the biblical principles don't get passed on. They don't take the time and teach their own kids, teach their grandkids, amen. They maybe just expect the church to do it all, and the church should be teaching. Don't get me wrong. They should be doing their part, but you have to understand that it first and foremost starts at home. Praise right. God. And it's education in all areas. Absolutely. In all every areas. area of yes. life. Amen. You know, that we don't just put our kid in a school and expect them to become to come educated the way we would like them to come out. Because Luke 640 is a great example of this. And it says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So it tells us there's an order. There's a teacher and there's a disciple, or we could say it this way. There's a teacher and there's a student. When that teacher gets done with that student and that student is perfectly trained, that student is going to be just like the teacher. They're going to act like the teacher. They're going to have the philosophies of the teacher. They're going to have the same understandings as the teacher because when a disciple is fully taught by a teacher, they're going to be just like the teacher. But yet the word of God gives the responsibility of education to the parent. So if you as a parent do not want your child to become like a particular teacher, then the best thing to do is not subject them to be taught by that teacher, to not be taught by that one discipling them. The responsibility of the type and the style of education you want your children to have 
is left up to the parents. And if you don't like the way a teacher is molding your child, you have a voice according to the word of God. You have a responsibility to alter that and change that because your children will come out with the same philosophies as their teacher if you don't step in and say, no, as a parent, this is what we believe. This is what we stand for. And you have a right in whatever manner you choose, whether it's public school, private school, homeschool, whatever situation. The word of God gives the parent the right and the responsibility to educate their own children. Amen. Amen. The, uh, I think one of the things, again, you know, from a pastor's perspective that, that, that hurts my heart is many times when a parent maybe doesn't take the responsibility and do that. And then as the child grows, gets older. Remember what was that first verse? Train yeah. up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, if we don't take the time to train them, then what happens is we have an aftermath again. There's that word again. And what ends up happening is uh, now it's like, what do we, what can we do now? It's like, it's almost too late. Well, it's not really too late. I mean, I mean, praise God for, you know, the blood of the lamb and for forgiveness and for repentance and, you know, and then the power of God to change somebody, praise the Lord. We're not taken away from any of that, but I'm just, uh, just as a parent, as a pastor, um, just saying that that's why it is so critical to take the time, uh, especially as they're young, and to teach them, train them. And I, I think I've, I just got a phrase that kind of jumps in my spirit. And that is, you know, what you compromise to gain, you ultimately lose. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, if I talk about this and they're just going to get, you know, they're going to start ignoring me or they're going to, you know, whatever, or turn away from me or whatever it may be. The point is, is that if you start compromising, Okay, especially what you stand for and believe for, you start compromising that. Ultimately, you think you're going to, you know, somehow win your kid over or your child over, and sometimes you end up losing them because we've compromised so long to the point that now somebody else is feeding into their life. And, and as Trudy brought out, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of voices out there, all right? And if you're not the main voice that's ringing in their head, somebody else is. And so it, it is up to us as a parent, all right, to uh, purpose, to train our children right, to raise them up right, amen. And, of course, it, it pays to be a good example, amen. Don't just, you know, we don't just, uh, you know, do as I say and not as I do kind of people. We're a people that live this, and that's what we should do. But the key is to bring them up in the way they should go. Amen. And, and when they're old, they won't depart. Amen. That's not saying you're not going to have still struggles here or there or things you got to pray through and all that. But I have found that the problems are less and less and a little easier to deal with when you take the time and train your kids right when they're young. Praise mm -hmm. the Lord. Well, and sometimes I think what happens is it's easy to let somebody else take our kids for, you know, a length of time. But the reason it's become easy it easier to just take them to school, let somebody else teach them, let somebody else train them is because that's the way we were done. Mm -hmm. You know, so we weren't equipped um, as parents how to train a child up, you know, or we weren't equipped how to educate a child. So therefore I need somebody else to educate my child and they'll need somebody else to educate their children and somebody else to educate their children. And all along, because the enemy is at work in a system, he's getting them farther and farther away from God. 
So somebody's got to stop the cycle and say, no, I accept the responsibility of educating my children and I, I accept that responsibility. I'm going to bring them up in the training of the Lord. I believe that that is what we call prevention. Amen. We'll be preventing things in the future. You know, if we will accept as God-fearing people, if we will accept the responsibility of educating our children and not throwing it off onto whoever will do it for us so we don't have to. But if we become proactive and involved with godly intent and godly wisdom to come alongside a teacher or to determine what we want our kids to hear all the way from curriculums to um, standards of education, all of these things, we need to understand that as a people of God, God has given us a voice. As a parent, God has given you a voice. And sooner or later, that child is going to be through school. So you'll have to find a new cause, right? You know, so just be patient, stay with it, but listen for the leading of the Lord to educate your children. Amen. 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 Yeah. So. It's, uh, uh, again, uh, I'd like to say this, uh, maybe to wrap this up, is that, you know, again, there's no condemnation. You may be sitting here watching this right now and listening and, and saying, oh, man, that's, I mean, I'm, I got grandkids now and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, it's too late for me to deal that. And, and well, you know, it's never really too late. I mean, it's amazing how, uh, you know, you, God can still give you a voice to not only uh, affect your own children, but maybe your grandchildren. And really, uh, even if, even if uh, all of that might even seem like it's, it's, it's too far reaching for whatever reason, understand this, that there are people around you that we can help, amen, to encourage them, mm -hmm. amen, yeah. to, to be the influence in their own children's lives. Amen. And one of the keys about this, and I just kind of thought of this while Trudy was talking, and that is, you know, if you train the children right when they're young, okay, they have more discernment as they're growing up and all the other voices are coming now. So I just, you know, I guess I just want to toss that out there too. But the main thing I wanted to say is I just don't want nobody to be condemned. Uh, you know, if you feel like, man, that's, I'm way past that. Well, Understand that God can still use you, amen, to influence others, amen, to encourage them uh, to, to not just pass the buck, amen, or pass it on to somebody else, but to step up, amen, and do your part to help teach your own kids or teach their kids, whatever it is we're talking about here. But the bottom line is, amen, they can make a difference. If they just stay with it, stick with it, mm -hmm. praise God, amen. We bring them up right, and they won't depart, amen, when they get older. Praise the Lord, amen. 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 So those are the topics for today. Yeah. We have some more next week. All right. So be sure to join us again next week as we get into deeper things or other things, I should say. We're grateful you joined us today. And we just pray the blessing of the Lord be upon you and your entire household. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to Vimeo.com forward slash WO Victory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.